The FT. Iraq's Prime Minister Haider al Abadi has launched the biggest overhaul of the country's political system since the end of the US military occupation, stripping some of Iraq's most powerful people of their positions and removing a layer of government. He says the reforms aimed at tackling corruption and preventing politicians from exploiting the system for their own ends. I'm Fiona Simon of the Financial Times, and on the line with me is our Middle East correspondent, Erica Solomon. Erica, why did Haider Abadi do this, and why now? Haider Abadi, since the beginning, was sort of expected to rein in on, on a lot of corruption that was perceived as being part of what got Iraq into this mess in the fight against militants from Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, or ISIS. Things that he uncovered actually early on in his premiership were things like what they called the ghost army, thousands of fighters who didn't actually exist and their salaries were being collected by officials. So things like this were seen as not only ineffective governments and corruption, but also actually debilitating for their fight against ISIS, which controls a large portion of the country now. From early on, he stated this as a goal, but people felt like they hadn't actually seen any results from this. And that really came to a head this summer, actually, for kind of an unrelated reason. Iraq had a major heat wave that the whole Middle East experienced, and they had major power outages. And with temperatures that can soar to 50 degrees Celsius in weather like this, people got very angry and took to the streets. So what began as protests against power outages and corruptions and things like the electricity ministry ended up broadening out to just a general critique of the government. And... What really changed things was that the top Shia cleric, the Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani, put out a call to the government to take action. And Haider al-Abadi used this as an opportunity to make some sweeping reforms that otherwise would probably have been very dangerous for him because he's actually a weak politician despite his position. One of the people that still is considered to hold much more influence than him is his predecessor, Nuri al-Maliki. And so he actually deprived Nuri al-Maliki of his position now. He was a vice president. And um, Nuri al-Maliki had to basically accept and even approve of the measures. So that was, in a way, it was an opportunistic move for al-Abadi. You mentioned that Nuri al-Maliki has lost his post, but he's also been implicated in a government report criticising top officials for the loss of the key city of Mosul to ISIS. What are the consequences for him? What they say they've done is gathered around 200 accounts from people that they interviewed in recent months since the fall of Mosul, basically, and said these are the officials that we think may have played a role, and Mr. Maliki is one of those. They say that because of the political and sectarian dynamics in Iraq, they're going to let the judiciary decide. Now, that's where it raises questions among skeptics, because it's believed that Mr. Maliki has a lot of allies in government, including the judiciary, who could protect him from any sort of serious trial. On the other hand, people in parliament say, well, that was true, but we've made a lot of changes. There have been a lot of reforms in the past few weeks, and a lot of people that officials like Mr. Maliki or the chief of staff, who they also want to see investigated, they may not find that they have the same allies they did before. So really, again, we're still waiting to see how the judiciary reacts, and that will be a big signal for us in terms of how serious to take this. Who are the other main victims of these government reforms, and... Are there any prominent Kurds who've lost power? Iraq had three vice presidents and three deputy prime ministers, which is kind of unheard of, but the Americans put this in place when they restructured the government after the invasion in 2003 
as a way to try and kind of maintain sectarian balance and prevent tensions. But what it really did was create a great system for political graft and patronage. And so Abadi got rid of this, and basically all of those people in those positions had to approve it because really it is an inefficient system. Some of the other positions that the parliament tacked on to the reforms that Abadi proposed when they approved it was um, the sacking of the uh, minister of finance, who is Hoshan Zabadi, a, you know, a very well-known Kurdish politician, as well as the minister of electricity, a little less surprisingly. I haven't seen anything publicly come out from Hoshan Zabadi yet, but it should be interesting to know what will happen with that, because definitely the Kurds will expect to maintain one of the powerful positions in the government. So if he is removed, I don't know exactly what will happen with that, but that there will be some negotiating that will definitely be happening behind the scenes now. So does this mean that the constitution will no longer ensure a balance of sectarian power? Abadi said that they got rid of sectarian and party quotas, and the idea was that people should be selected based on their qualifications and their ability to run government efficiently. So I think in a lot of ways the public is supportive of this, but of course with all of the sectarian tensions that are you know, simmering right now in Iraq, it will be very hard to do in a way that won't potentially stir more sectarian animosity. But at the moment I get the impression from you that the public is behind the reforms. I think the public is behind the idea of reform. I think there will be a lot of skepticism as to whether these dramatic-looking changes actually do anything to affect reform. Because, as some analysts have pointed out, it's a lot of changes to top-level positions that don't actually get to the very deep-rooted political patronage system that is at play in the Iraqi government. Some have pointed out to me that what you would really need to do is get rid of how much influence parties have in the political system to choose officials. And without that, you may not really be able to affect the corruption at work. And what people might be worried about is that this is actually a way for Haider Labadi to consolidate his own power. As I mentioned before, he was considered a rather weak politician who couldn't affect a lot of change because others were more powerful than him. So this is probably a move for him to try and change that dynamic and make the changes that he's been calling for since the beginning. How bad is the situation in the country at the moment? How critical is it in terms of the economy and keeping the military strong enough to put up a fight against ISIS? Militarily, we've been waiting two months, actually, since June, to see the government push back in Anbar province, where ISIS made a lot of advances this summer. And we haven't seen that. We've seen lots of reports saying that they are planning to attack, that they are starting their attacks, but we haven't actually seen any major advances on the ground. In the north, with the Kurdish forces, there have been some small advances, but nothing game-shifting yet. So that is probably another reason that Abadi wants to make these reforms. We're not seeing a huge change in the situation on the ground for people security-wise, and we're not seeing it economically either because the situation is still very bad. What do you think are Mr. Abadi's chances of affecting real change in the country? I think pretty much everybody expects that a lot of forces in the political system will be working behind the scenes to prevent these reforms from actually changing the system. That is a huge challenge that is very hard to see him overcoming. You know, when I spoke to some of the members of parliament after the vote and congratulated them, a lot of them laughed and said, well, let's see. <laughs> so it shows, you know, even though they just did this thing that looks very dramatic, they don't seem hopeful themselves that it will really work. 
For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.